Man, discipleship looks a lot like getting in the same boat with Jesus, being invited into a storm, and then reaching points in your life where you are asking that exact question. Didn't that resonate with you? Jesus, don't you care that we are drowning? Don't you care that we are drowning? Every single person you've ever met, every single person you see every day, including the one you look at in the mirror, longs to be cared for well. Whenever you hear, I don't care, that is code for someone who is hurt. I don't care is a defense mechanism. It is for those who have no hope that things can change. Uh, Evidently, not only do I have to be a master of English as my first language, but then I went to school where they told me I had to learn a second language. I picked Spanish because there was already some Spanish in my home. Then it turns out, as I get a little bit older, that there are love languages. Have you heard of the five love languages? It sold like 62 trillion books, so I think you've probably heard of these. When I think of that, I think, sheesh, I have a hard enough time with English, like my native language. I'm continually making errors. In fact, I've got a loving daughter here who corrects me regularly about my poor English sometimes. The five love languages speaks to the different ways that people express, but also receive and perceive love and care. Many have helped. I think this is part of why the books have sold so well. Many have found sort of the definitions and the ideas around the five love languages as unlocking the puzzle of sort of the hurt and confusion and misunderstanding that accompanies friendship and accompanies um, relationships. Uh, In fact, what you see is you see the five love languages, not just of couples, which is I think where the book started, um, but with your teenagers, Right with your children, there's all kinds of varieties, sort of subgenres to this same idea. So, for example, um, gifts is one of the love languages. Gifts being given, gifts being received. If you take a gifts person who speaks primarily the love language of gift giving, and you pair them up with someone whose whose primary love language is quality time, do you see how there could be some misunderstanding and hurt and confusion? If you go to that person, try to give them a gift, they want your time. You say, what are you trying to buy me off with gifts? Uh, No, I'm trying to care well for you and love well for you. Would you please buy me gifts? Right? That's what you're saying. How about this? How about someone who um, is a words of affirmation person? That's one one of the languages. And the other person is a physical touch person. You get those two married, and one person's thinking an Elvis song, a little less conversation. It's like, get over here and hug me right? I don't want more words of affirmation. I need physical touch. And the person who needs words of affirmation says, don't come and hug me and kiss me. I don't want any of that. You talk to me. Man, this is the spice of marriage, people. This is the frustration and joy of learning to live with your roommate, to work with your boss, to get along with your teenagers, to understand people. So life is full of mystery and understanding, isn't it? Not all of that's bad. Some of that's really bad and really frustrating, but some of it's just the spice of life. One of the great mysteries, one of the great misunderstandings, one of the great questions being asked is this, whether or not God cares. 
Man, we just heard it in the scriptures in the book of Mark. Don't you care, Jesus? I mean, he's asleep for Pete's sake. That can't be a love language. (laughs) Ignoring and sleeping on the job? Don't you care? So whether or not God cares is, again, just one of the great conversations being discussed. Think about this for a second. What frame of mind is someone in when they say these words, I thought you cared? What comes to mind with someone who is saying, I thought you cared? Now, by show of hands, I'm going to throw out a couple of categories. How many think of a jilted lover? Like someone who's broken up or in the middle of a relationship. Did did anyone think of that come to mind? Okay. Um, How about a teenager who is being restrained from something they want to do? Go out with their friends, go do this, go do that. And a parent saying no to that or restricting that in some way. And the teenager says, I thought you How many thought of that? Okay, we have a couple teenage parents in here. Um, How many thought of a seven-year-old who is a budding individual? The terrible twos are not terrible in our home. We love the the two-year-old phase, but they're called the terrible twos because all of a sudden, little Miss Independent is expressing herself, right? Big boy Johnny is suddenly going his own way, and that's frustrating to parents. But they are expressing their individualism. How many of you thought of an elementary-aged kid or a tiny little kid? I thought you cared. Anyone think of that? I did because my daughter said that to me this week. I thought you cared. I thought, where does that language even come from? It is embedded in us to have this knowledge that the people around us should care and love and understand us. And when they don't, there's no hurt like those closest to us, seemingly not caring. We're going to get into this as we go. Now, it's not enough to say, I love you, is it? It's not enough to say, I love you. It must be demonstrated, right? And it also must be translated. It's not enough to just demonstrate it in your way. But I'm telling you I love you. Well, I don't feel loved. I'll tell you where couples get stuck. Well, too bad. I don't know how else to do this. I'm expressing love. You're not receiving it. I don't really know where to go from here. Hear me, married people. Uh, Remain students of your spouse for a lifetime. I love that I am preaching to some people. We We have decades and decades and decades of married years experience in this room right now. For those of you watching at home, it's powerful to say this to a group of people who have walked further than I have on this, and some of you think I'm the old guy. Trust me, I'm not. Continue to be a student of your spouse. I remember years ago doing this conference, The Art of Marriage, and a couple sitting right over here, who I think have been married almost as long as I've been alive, were at that conference working on their marriage, studying each other. It's not enough to say, I love you. It's not enough to say, uh, to, to, to demonstrate it. You must translate it to your significant others, to your friends, to those that you care for. Um, We care about vulnerable children around here. Neighborhood Bible Church cares for vulnerable children. How we show that varies. Number one, we keep it a priority, not only to keep recruiting new families to, to foster or adopt, but to care really well for those who've already said yes to the journey and are mid-journey. 
In fact, they're well into it, and it's no longer exciting and new, and the, the kids coming in aren't cute little babies. Um, we, are, we have families who are well into this. In fact, we have families who have left the state. If you didn't notice, California is kind of expensive, and for a variety of reasons, people are leaving en masse. Do you know we are still caring for families who live out of state, who have stepped into caring for vulnerable children? Neighborhood Bible Church, you've cared really, really well in, in that way. As a part of that, we've hosted in this building for years and years and years a video conference called Empowered to Connect. It's teaching people some of the unique um, qualities that are needed from parents and caretakers who are trying to care from kids who have experienced loads of trauma. Well, that has been sort of reframed into a brand new conference with a new name called Hope for the Journey. Same teaching, same people running it. And I just want to share honor where honor is due, because I've asked our staff over the last year plus, I have looked at them and said, figure it out. Hey, the world is shut down. Hey, we have to wear masks. Hey, we can't be within arm's length of each other. We still need to be a church. Figure it out. In your area of expertise, in the areas that you're praying through and thinking through and studying through and working on, go figure it out. We have done really well at some things. We've done horrible at some things. This has been a challenging season as a church. I love that you've stayed with us. I love that you've been patient and gracious. But one of the ways that we've had to figure this out is how do you host a conference about connection, not in person, not face-to-face? How do you do that well? I want to celebrate Kelly and her team. Kelly and her team figured it out really well this year. In fact, if you signed up on time for Hope for the Journey, a video conference that you are going to watch from yet another Zoom link, yay, then you got this in your mailbox about a week ago. It's a little care package from Neighborhood Bible Church that she assembled in here, and it basically is given to people um, to kind of get a little bit of a conference experience. Um, without actually being here. And what happened was, um, in addition to receiving a care package, um, NBC also took on child care via Zoom. One of the challenges is you have people who are um, ministering, parenting, kids with difficult backgrounds that don't transition well, that may not sit still well, and now you're saying, okay, now watch a video conference for eight hours today. Good luck with your kids. That's not good enough. Figure it out. Kelly figured it out. So some of our NBC people took on different Zoom links with different age groups, and uh, there was even stuff in the box according to your kids' ages that tied into a physical craft that they were going to be led through on the day of the conference. Man, our team did amazing. We even included, look at this, this little box that just had to have like prompted intrigue and anticipation. Now, it's quite possible, in fact, I would say it's probable that someone received this box a week ago, opened it, dug through it for anything informational that pertained to the conference, and when nothing was there that was informational, set the the, the box aside, said, that's nice, and never opened it again. Isn't that probably true? There's some people who couldn't care less about Ghirardelli chocolate. I don't know who they are. They're probably incarcerated somewhere. They're not doing well. But there's people who don't care about Ghirardelli. They don't care about a pen. They don't care about any of this. 
And it didn't register on their brain. They were being cared well for by this box. It does not make them bad people. What it speaks to, it's another way of revealing the complexity of care and the uniqueness of people. Care is complex. Amen? Think through what you're struggling with, what you're praying about, what frustrates you, what brings you great joy. When you unlock something with someone, you're like, that's all you needed to hear that I love you? Man, I would have never in a million years thought to express it that way, but now that I know that, I'm going to go gung-ho with that. Care is complex and individuals are unique. Today's I am is Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. Now, Jesus as good shepherd is good news. I bet like me, we often think of this in a very me-centered way. Open your Bibles to Psalm 23. Probably one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in all of the Bible, whether you're a Christian or not, a Bible reader or not. I am regularly asked at weddings and funerals to read Psalm 23. Psalm 23 talks about God as our good shepherd. Now just look at how this idea of God as shepherd is often preached. In fact, listen to the language of this. I'm going to emphasize some things. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That sounds pretty good. I like that. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, uh, oil. my cup overflows. Surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house, Lord, forever. We've never read Psalm 23 quite that way, but do you hear how much we love that passage? Why do we love it? It's all about us. Me, my, I. It's comforting me. It's preparing me. It's, It's giving me everything I want. We could read this a whole kindergarten way. The world is centered around a kindergartner if you're in kindergarten, and that's perfectly appropriate. Now, hear me really clearly. Jesus is the good shepherd, and that is good news, and everything I just read is wonderfully true, gloriously true. But here's what I thought about. I thought, man, every time I've heard about Jesus as the good shepherd, I think it always comes back to Psalm 23 kinds of language. And most often, probably in my own immaturity, I heard that as God's going to handle my problems this week. God's going to handle the deep conversations I need to have, the strains I have over here, the financial trouble, the health issues, the relational thing, the career path, all these sort of uh, really more temporal, me-centered kinds of things. And what I want to say this morning is this, and I want to show it to you from the text. Jesus does care for us and our needs. Hear that really clearly, but there is so much more to Jesus as good shepherd than what we often focus on. In fact, I would suggest we often focus on pretty shallow things that won't even matter six months from now or six years from now. 
Jesus as good shepherd. He's cared for us since birth. He's nurtured us to stand on our own two feet. He's protected. He's provided. He's comforted. He's, he's accompanied us all the way. For what? Simply to keep us safe, well-fed, happy, and fear-free. And that's what a lot of Americans are, are pushing for right there. Man, my, my highest prayer would be keep me safe, well-fed, happy, and fear-free. I know I should pray for other things, but those are the things that keep showing up. So has God really done all this? Did Jesus really die simply to make us comfortable until the sweet by and by? I don't think so. In fact, I know so by the authority of God. I want to show it to you today. Andres, come on up here. One of the, one of the beautiful things is this. Um, our Spanish services and English services are going through these seven I am statements together. And Andres and I were talking earlier in the week, and we're, we're sort of pinging off of each other. Hey, what are you seeing? How are you teaching this? And we're sort of leaning on each other. And he's going a completely different direction. I wanted you to hear about it because of the fact uh, that he's going in this, this whole other direction. So give it a quick summary of what you guys are doing. So we're very excited because on third service, we're going to also look at uh, Jesus being our good shepherd, but we're going to emphasize on we, the need that we have to seek God and make him our priority. And I think during this season, we have been able to see that probably that was not the case in our lives. Like, for example, uh, a recent study found out that about 30% of Christians left the faith because they were not able to go to services. Mm. So imagine that. So that tells me that our faith, our priority was on going to the church. And, of course, that helps being surrounded, hearing the word. But we have to prioritize Jesus, and we have to seek him it has to be intentional. We have to run to him. And he is the person that we need to rely instead of others, relying on others, relying on, you know, even the people at the church, even the pastor, even the, the YouTube videos that you see that, you know, tells you sermons. Uh, we need to prioritize Jesus in our lives. So we're going to emphasize that, and I'm re very, very excited. Okay. Listen, if that sounds like a better sermon or what you need more than this, uh, keep watching this one. Keep staying here, but just go to, to, to third service um, and either learn Spanish quickly or pay someone to translate. We have a couple translators here who could help you out. John 10. Turn your Bibles to John 10. Here's our text today. I'm going to read it in full. And what I want you to see from this is quite clearly um, that Jesus is revealing who he is. Jesus is letting us know this is who I am. And in finding out who he is, we find out who we are. If Jesus is a shepherd and we are sheep, man, that tells us things about ourselves. Um, but it also, it tells us what we are now able to give our lives to. And that's sort of the tilting emphasis that I want to show this morning. John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. We're going to go through 18. Listen to this. I am the good shepherd, Jesus talking. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. 
I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Pray with me. God, there's so much in this text. As I read it afresh this morning, I feel like I could preach five more sermons on this and glean so much more from it. God, would you speak powerfully through your eternal word that we just read in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things you know in this church, because we talk about this all the time, is you learn about what a passage means by looking for repeated words. Did you hear some repetition in there? There was a lot of repetition. I want you to think, when you think Jesus is shepherd, Jesus is shepherd, I am a sheep. Go to John 10 in your mind. Last week, you talked more about sheep, sheepfolds, um, uh, shepherd, doors to sheep, sheep pens, all that kind of stuff. Now he's talking about being the good shepherd. Shepherd shows up five times just in this passage. So we better get into our minds what this is talking about or we'll miss the meaning. Most of us aren't shepherds um, and, and we, don't, we aren't around sheep and shepherds a whole bunch. Um, I brought a little physical reminder of an incredible time in my life. Do you see this cup right here? This little small cup, or one like it, is one that I sat each morning at a little guest house in Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia, and I sipped my coffee. This was the size coffee I got there. You know how many I wanted? I wanted like eight of these. I was polite and only had two or three at a time. I would sit early in the morning because I was still jet lagged and was on a different time zone than everyone else. I would sit early in the morning and I would sit right at the guest house and across the street from the guest house, it, I just got to sit on this open air thing and I got to watch the hustle and bustle of people walking by, Ethiopians coming by and conducting business. I kind of watched the city wake up each morning. I'd be down there reading. I'd be looking at this, or not looking at this, uh, looking at what was in front of me. My mom, when she left, she went to the owners of this guest house, and this, the same guy and I got to know each other. I didn't, I was like Norm at Cheers. He just came up and showed up with the coffee. He already knew what I wanted. She said, can I buy one of those cups for my son as a little souvenir? And he gifted it to her. All the more special that I have this little cup. I bring up this little cup of coffee because of this. When I sat there, I cannot think of God as my shepherd, of Jesus as the good shepherd now without going back to that scene in my life. You know why? I watched daily shepherds come by with their sheep. I watched other shepherds come by with their goats. I watched other shepherds come from a different direction with their sheep. And right in front of me, evidently, it was like Walmart of sheep and goats. So they'd all gather, and other people were there, buying and bartering and talking. I couldn't understand a word of Amharic. So I just sat there and watched. And what looked like a jumbled mess of humanity and all manner of four-legged creatures was actually really, really fascinating. Because when the shepherd was done doing business, he would walk away, evidently, with his sheep. How did he do that? Because the sheep knew his voice. I have a seven-month-old chocolate lab. I had him at the beach yesterday. He's growing and doing better at this. 
It's really important to have a dog that can come to you, right, and that knows your voice. Yeah, I have a little whistle that I saw him. He came to my whistle amongst all the other dogs going on. But he's terrible compared to the sheep. I didn't see a single leash at all. I didn't see like an electric wand that would zap the sheep if they didn't do right. I didn't see little sheep treats, whatever that might be, to like wag their tail and say, here, come and I'll feed you. It was just a simple call and response and they would come and go. They would separate. It was unbelievable to watch. Because I didn't grow up around it, it felt like magic. I was like, wow, that's impressive. And with all the Bible knowledge and training and reading and understanding and trying to get my head around sheep, I saw it all in a brand new light. So incredibly powerful. Jesus speaks to all of our needs. I'm not sure why exactly the sheep follow, but I would imagine this. They can trust this, this one. This is the one who cares for us. Whether you're a sheep or a person, that's built up over time, over repetition. Every opportunity we have with each other, with parents, with our spouses, is the ability to keep instilling like an IV drip just over and over and over. I can be trusted. I care for you. Jesus speaks to all of our needs, not just the physical ones, but the deeper ones. In fact, here's what I would say. Beyond caring for us, remember how we can sometimes read Psalm 23, God enables us to care for others. God doesn't just care for us, he enables us to care for others. Now, instead of thinking those are at odds, think about this, that they're actually one and the same. In fact, here's here's how I might say it. God cares for us by equipping and commanding us to care for others. Doesn't it feel like those are either or sometimes? I need to receive my care from God. I guess I'll give some of it away and care for others. But I think those are actually one and the same thing. God cares for us by equipping us to care for other people. God cares for us by commanding us to care for other people. The most of these, the least of these, and the worst of these. That's who we're to care for. Those in your old household, a given. Parents for their children, duh! God's call is way bigger. And catch this, it's for our good. He is caring for us by calling us to care for others. If you want to write down a sort of a central truth of this morning, write this down. Christians aren't created to work for God, but with God. Christians are not created to work for God, but with God. Man, that solves a world of misreading of the Bible. That solves a world of misreading and misunderstanding about religion. Works salvation essentially says, God, I'll keep working for you. I know you're the CEO. I know you're the boss. Let me keep on your good side. I'll keep on your good side. I'll keep doing that. You keep paying me my paycheck. And once in a while, a Christmas bonus would be just right. That's works religion. Jesus shattered that, spoke against that every chance he could. Christians aren't created to work for God, but with God. Where do babies come from? Whoa, where's he going with that? I'll just tell you, we get this question regularly. My wife and I have so much fun. It's so fun to answer this, especially because usually it's a younger child answering and there's teenagers in the house right there. And we say, well, when a husband loves a wife and the teenagers go, ah! and they just like leave the room. They don't want to hear it. And the little ones are dialed in. Where do babies come from? So we have open conversations all the time, just sort of you know, gradually giving them more and more of what they need as they get older. Here's a good question. Where do Christians come from? 
Where do spiritual babies come from? Well, God alone makes Christians, right? None of us raised ourselves. We're all born spiritually dead. The dead don't raise themselves. God raises us from the dead. So it's a work of his spirit stirring to life hearts and minds that are dead in their sin. Where do babies come from, spiritual babies? From the breath of God. He breathes life into us. So God creates Christians for a purpose, to join him in what he's doing. It's one thing to understand where do Christians come from. It's another altogether to say, why does he create them in the first place? What's their purpose? The gospel, the great news, is sort of embedded in this idea. If you look at all the Christian uh, epistles, sort of the letters, they all follow this similar sort of pattern. Part one is almost always about who we are. It's about our identity. Romans unpacks this a lot. You were dead in your sin. You were far from God. But now you are alive in Christ. That's who you are. Then the second part of the epistle, Ephesians, Colossians, Galatians, works this way, is all about what you do. Part one, who you are, being. Part two, what you do, doing. When you invert these, And you start doing without knowing who you are, what you get is works religion. Pharisees. I'm working for God, not with God. We say this all the time around here. It's so moving to me. I think about this all the time. We rest in the finished work of Christ so that we can strive at the good work he's given us to do. We don't rest in the finished work of God, sing about it, come and remind ourselves about it so we can just club, med, hang out at a sandals resort having another margarita or something. We rest in the finished work of Christ so that we can strive at the good work he's given us to do. Man, you invert those two, you will be miserable. I promise you, you'll make your friends and family miserable. You will not find life there. As good shepherd, Jesus gifts us with care for all of us, not just housing and transportation and food and clothing and comfort and companionship. These are the topics that dominate most of culture. But he also provides understanding and purpose and meaningful reasons to get up in the morning and strive He invites us out into the storm, not to freak us out, but to stretch us, to prepare us for some future work. All right, if you're taking notes, you're going to get four things very, very quickly about very specifically how he cares for us in this passage. Number one, Jesus cares for us by being good. The word good shows up three times in this passage. So once again, that's an important word. Let's look at that. What does that imply? It implies there are bad shepherds, imposters, fakes, voices you should not follow. So here's the question of the hour. How do we know who to listen to? Man, hindsight really is twenty twenty. You think, how can I learn from that? How did that person dupe me? I thought I asked all the right questions. They seemed so genuine. Other people had said they were genuine. I was tricked. Who is telling the truth? When I looked a couple weeks ago, Jesus talks about the thief and the robber. 
There are people who will try to sneak in, and there are people who will try to bust in to your life. They are bad. Be on your guard about that. Jesus exposes them by simply pointing out that if they won't live openly and speak plainly, they are bad. Avoid them. Let me tell you a shocking truth that some parents who have kids in public school don't understand. Planned parenthood is teaching your children about sex education at their school. Not all schools. I've heard Branham is different. I think they're using real options, which blows my mind, and I celebrate that. Planned Parenthood is teaching the children of our school district in San Jose Unified about sex education. This is bad. This organization is underhanded, sneaky, and doing very shady things, and then covering it up. They have a horrible track record simply for how they conduct themselves, not to mention, I think they have an incredibly warped view of sexuality and the gift and preciousness of our assigned gender from God and the precious gift of God um, of, of sex within marriage. So even if you set all of that aside, just as an organization, they're really shady. Here's the kicker. They are selling to our children. If you're going to be really cynical, but I think it's actually fairly open, they are actually creating future customers. Go and have sex with whoever you want, and you do not need to include the adults in your life, certainly not your parents. You are able to have abortions. Let us show you exactly how you do not legally in any way, shape, or form need to inform your parents. These are the messages being promoted. Now, I tried and failed to get in on these presentations as a parent with kids at this school and as a concerned community leader, a pastor in our city. I tried and failed. Here's the thing I want to point out to you. If this is a great thing, that Planned Parenthood is on our campuses promoting this incredibly awesome message... Why on earth isn't this open and celebrated? Why on earth wouldn't we, wouldn't we say, we want to have our community leaders come. Look at what a great school we are. We are a distinguished California school. Here's how we're doing this. Let us show it to you. No, you had your chance at the beginning of the semester, uh, the beginning of the school year, and you didn't take it. So you can't come in and silently sit in the back and, and watch it. They are not being open and plain in their teaching, in their, live, in their living, in their dealings. Some are blatantly bad. And if you dig an inch below the stated goals of caring for women, you will see Planned Parenthood falls in that category. The good shepherd Jesus demonstrates it by his actions and by his open teaching and actions. All the shepherds, all the Christians that proclaim for him should live the same way. Remember what we talked about two weeks ago. We have renounced underhanded, sneaky ways of dealing with theology and kind of giving sub-messages. We say this, but mean this. We talk about this, but live this way. The plain, open demonstration of our life and teaching ought to be plain. That's one of the ways Jesus cares for us. Number two, Jesus cares for us by laying down his life. Five times in eight verses, the words lay down are in front of us. This is a key part of Jesus as shepherd Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Consider this, friends. 
that Christians worldwide celebrate the murder of Jesus as glorious good news is disgusting. That's deeply troubling, unless you understand the reason he died. If you don't understand the reason he died and you're wearing a cross, that's psychopathic. That is disgusting. This passage clues us in on some things. There's a tiny little word for. He lays down his life for the sheep. That little tiny word for has huge implications. You want to sound really smart to your friends tomorrow? Write down this. Penal substitutionary atonement. That is the theological term that's being expressed by that little word for. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It means Jesus died for our sins. He took God's wrath for us. In dying, Jesus took all the cost and pain on him at no benefit to himself so that we need not pay the penalty and yet receive all of the benefit. What's the benefit? It's atonement. At one minute, we are brought into peace with God again. That little word for is so important. Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. This is not a side little, you have to kind of understand the Greek and Hebrew to really get at this kind of an idea. This is woven through all of scripture. Would you bear with me while I just, I want to overwhelm you with a very short list to tell you that for everyone I read, there are scores more that keep pointing back to this central idea, okay? It may help to just close your eyes. I'm not going to put anything on the screen. I just want you to listen to God's word being read, Isaiah 53, 12. He poured out his soul to death. And was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Romans 4.25, he was delivered up for our trespasses. 1 Corinthians 15.3, for I delivered to you as the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. 1 John 2, 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Galatians 3, 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. And one more that points ahead to Jesus as the fulfillment of the story that God is telling. This hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And then comes on the scene saying, I am the good shepherd. Listen for the marriage of good shepherd and and, um, the word for. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, Jesus as the good shepherd lays down his life for wandering sheep. That is the glorious gospel. And not only does he lay it down, 
He has authority to take it up again. Look at verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. If you're taking notes, write down number three. Jesus cares for us by being in control. What does a baby need when they're dysregulated and screaming their head off? They need a parent in control, don't they? Shh, I've got this. I've got you. You're safe here. I have got your world covered. Shh, you're settling that child back down. What does a toddler need? They need, they need parents who are in control. What do seven, eight, nine elementary school age need? They need the same thing. What do teens need? Same thing. What do your adult children? The, the control looks different when someone moves out of your home. But we care for our children by being in control. Not controlling them. Huge difference. That's a whole other sermon. But by being in control. You know, let's work on how you asked that. That was pretty rude. We'll talk about that another time, but it sounds like you need a snack. <laughs> Can we get a snack? Let's get a snack. I get really grumpy when I'm, when I'm hungry too. That's a controlled response, even though internally, what do you feel like saying? We won't repeat it in church. Bad stuff! Out of control parenting, right? Man, being in control is a massive gift. It's a way that you care for people around us. We see this. Who were the characters who made up the charges, illegally arrested Jesus in the dark, and killed him with no cause? We could run through sort of, you know, Pontius Pilate, the guards, like there's sort of a list of characters, right? On the surface, if you read that story, you think that they are in control of the situation. Jesus reveals something ahead of time. Remember, he hasn't gone to the cross yet. He reveals something ahead of time about his character. He reveals a whole different story. He gave his life willingly. No one took it from him. You know what we try not to say up here because language is important? We don't say Jesus spilled his blood on Calvary. Every time I've ever spilled something, it was an accident. If I knock something over and it spills, and I go, I meant to do that, (laughs) I'm revealed as a fraud. No, you didn't. That was an accident. When you spill something, it's accidental. He gave his blood. He didn't spill his blood. He poured out his blood willingly, lovingly. Do you see the difference? Man, that's huge. It reveals Jesus is in control. He said it here ahead of time. God is supremely sovereign. By definition, you shouldn't have to put the word supremely in there. Sovereign means supremely sovereign. But we add supremely to say God is in control of every, every cell in your body. When you pray for healing, recognize God could have kept that disease from showing up in the first place. The things you're praying to and the God you're praying to is far more complex. He deals with the complexities of life. Means that even on the darkest day of history, God is caring for us. The darkest day of history is not your tax problems, I promise you. It's the cross. Proof positive, God was caring all along. He was shepherding time. He was shepherding people to his good plan. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. I came across this this week. 
He says this, all will serve God's purposes. All means all. All people, all time, everywhere will serve God's purposes, either as a son or as a tool. This was long before someone said, oh, you're a tool. This is like really powerful to think about. Everyone will serve God's purposes either as a son or as a tool. Listen to this. After being released from Peter from, from prison, Peter, John, and the disciples pray this prayer in Acts chapter 4. Put in your mind the cast of characters who appear to be in control killing Jesus illegally. Ready? For truly in this city, Acts 4.27, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed God, who's supremely in control, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. There's the cast of character who appear to be in control. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God is caring for you by being in control. This is wildly good news. Not only that, but he stays and protects the sheep from wolves where others run. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Becky read a story this week of a guy in Florida who jumps in the water and starts beating up an alligator. Why? Why would you do that? Because his chocolate lab puppy was in its jaws. It's a little convicting because I've got a chocolate lab puppy. I'm like, I don't know if I'd do that. Bondi, I love you, but I don't know. This dude's like poking the thing in the eye and he releases it and he gets them. They both are going to need stitches, but they're both going to survive. Question. If you're paid minimum wage to walk that dude's dog and he gets snatched on a walk in Florida, by the way, you think earthquakes are scary? This is frightening. And an alligator has that dog in its mouth. Does the minimum wage person jump in and fight the alligator? Yes or no? Absolutely not. Why? Because they're hired. They don't really care for the dog the way that this guy cared for the dog. Last week I had someone come up to me. After Mother's Day, I had a line of four or five guys that wanted to chit-chat. It was kind of funny. I didn't speak to the moms very well, but the guys really got the message on Mother's Day. He came up and he shared with me. He said, I really appreciate your words about vulnerable children, about foster care. He said, I spent my entire uh, upbringing, my entire youth in foster care. I said, how was that for you? He said, well, I bounced around a lot from home to home. That's pretty common. Then he said this. He said, in every home, they were in it for the money. Exact words. They cared nothing for me. They gave me my, my, my allowance and they let me go do whatever I wanted. The hired hand in foster care crushes a soul. This guy went on to tell me an amazing story of redemption. God got a hold of his heart and he was here as a Christian redeemed from that. Because God takes broken things and makes beautiful things out of it. The hired hand in foster care crushes the soul. They are selfish and tend sheep only for what they can get out of it. This is wicked. And it's why I remain fired up and committed to the work of speaking to the adults in our city what the kids wish they could say. They don't have a platform and a voice, but I do. So I will continue to use it to say to the adults in our community, love these kids well. 
at great personal cost, sacrificially give and give and give and give. Not for your benefit, but for the kids' benefit. All I say is Christians live as Christians. In fact, I often say this at interest meetings. I say I'm not calling people to fill a need. I'm calling Christians to, f- to obey a command. Care for orphans and widows in their distress. You can't do this without Jesus. So I'll keep committed to that. 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love. How do we know if we're cared for? That he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. God cares for us by calling us to care for others. Here's the fourth one. Jesus cares for us by calling us to action. God doesn't create Christians to work for him. He doesn't need a workforce. He calls them and invites them to join him in his work. As door of the sheep, remember this? As door of the sheep, he watches over our coming and our going. He provides security and freedom. We're safe to come and go. We're free to come and go. So what are we doing? Where are we supposed to be going? Where are we supposed to be coming from when we come and restore ourselves in pasture with God? Christ didn't provide club med for sheep. The feeding and safety are for a purpose. Remarkably, he saves sheep, creates sheep, and then calls the sheep to gather other sheep with him. That's your mission. Get in mind with what God is doing. Following Jesus means we join him in what he came to do. He gave his life as a ransom for many. He came to seek and to save the lost. He calls sinners to repentance. And he gathers sheep into one flock. As sheep who are in the flock, we join Jesus in this gathering work. I close with giving you some how. How do we do this? Very quickly, we proclaim the good news of the good shepherd. Faith comes by hearing. Proclaim it. Secondly, live the new ethic. Live differently. We learn from the good shepherd how to live. Live like him. So proclaim it. Live the new ethic. Number three, ensure we are doing nothing to scare and scatter the, the, the sheep. Ensure we are not scaring or scattering the sheep. Luke eleven twenty three. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. There are no neutral followers of Jesus. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are able and mandated to now be ambassadors for God. That is what Jesus is doing. Gathering sheep. So come and go freely and securely into the world. The place where sheep are wandering, lost, running frantically in the wrong direction. We don't go to save sheep. We go to call out to the sheep this way to the one who can save. This way to the shepherd. In fact, if you want to make a difference in the ongoing hatred between ethnic groups, and isn't ethnic just one dividing wall of hostility that Christ came to divide? But it's really big right now. If you want to make a difference in the ongoing hatred between ethnic groups, look to Jesus, read your Bible, 
stay in community, and follow the Spirit wherever He leads and prompts you to go. Focus on the unity that all humans everywhere have. God is creating one flock out of many. That is the beautiful picture going on. So focus on the unity of us as human beings. Instead of all the divisions that we have, without dismissing the complexity of care. So if you just say to people who have different skin color than you, well, we just need to preach the gospel. Well, we're just building one flock. It's ignoring the complexity of care that we talked about, the uniqueness of individuals. Well, you don't understand my position. Ah, that doesn't matter. God's the same for all. Friends, we need the Spirit of Christ in this work. I just want to read... A line from an old hymn that's so powerful, it says this, For lo, between our sins and their reward, we set the passion of thy Son, our Lord. Between our sins and their reward, we set the passion, the suffering of thy Son, our Lord. Here's my invitation to you this morning, that we set the suffering of Jesus Christ sort of in front of our sins this morning. Remember that word for? That as we sing, Jesus paid it all. That we set our real sin, our active sin, our ongoing sin, our deep, dark past sin that God's freed us from and we don't have to be defined by it that we set the suffering of Christ in front of your sins today. Church, do not forget the length that Jesus went to pay for our freedom, to pay for our safety. Jesus, you care for and know your sheep. You stop at nothing to pursue us and to call us out of our sin. Jesus, once in your pen, secure in your love, we are sent out to be your voice in all the near and far places. Because of you, victorious King Jesus, we know and are known by the Father. The intimate knowledge and secure love that you share with the Father is gifted to us. We are now a unified part of your household. Once far off and uninterested, we now belong to you. We work with you, not for you. What a glorious truth, God. Thank you, and we say with all of our heart, put us in, coach. Send us out. We're here. We recognize that this salvation is not just so we get to feel good about ourselves and not be haunted by our guilt and shame. God, you have set us free to gather sheep with you. We obey. We follow. Joyfully, we follow.